1: LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. We've all been
2: there. You have a question about your credit card. You
1: call the number for help, and
2: you can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discovery.com slash credit card. It's
3: brand new season two.
5: All of us
3: have a role to play because we can also push back when we hear stereotypes about who belongs in the sector, and we can keep pushing a conversation that says that more folks should have a seat at the table.
2: There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. Banning books is nothing new in the United States. But since 2021, we've seen the number of books banned in schools and libraries skyrocket as extremist parents' groups consolidate power in local school districts. And according to the American Library Association, most of the books being challenged are about Black or LGBTQ characters or deal with issues of race and inclusion. Earlier this year, four children's books from Girls Who Code an organization that exists to close the gender gap in technology and change the image of what a programmer looks like and does, were pulled from Pennsylvania's Central York District. Girls Who Code CEO, Dr. Tarika Barrett, says that at a time when girls and non-binary young people should be being encouraged to get more involved in technology, making it harder to access Girls Who Code books is especially troubling. Now, don't get it twisted. Dr. Barrett is a doctor, but...
3: You can call me Tarika
2: especially with women who have PhDs, mm-hmm. I go out of my way to really hit that doctor because mm-hmm. I feel like it's so easy to be like, oh, just first name and oh, I don't know. I, I, so I, I appreciate you letting me call you Tarika,
3: but I am a stickler for the doctor when it's a woman. (laughs) I am with you and you immediately, we engendered rapport right away. So I was like, call me Tarika, but don't get it twisted. If anyone does not refer to me as Dr. Barrett, especially if they're referring to other folks by that um, sort of, you know, title, I get upset immediately because it has happened to me where I've been in conversations where There is a phone call or a meeting and a gentleman is being referred to as Dr. So-and-so, and and then I'm getting the Tarika. And I've actually paused and said to people, no, it's Dr. Barrett, which sometimes, you know, engenders some awkward silence. But to be honest, that honorific is nothing to play with. You know, I it took me four and a half years and two children, (laughs) birthing two children to get it. So I really appreciate that you you kind of noted that too.
2: Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, that's a great place to, to start. How did you wind up at Girls Who Code?
3: Oh my gosh, Bridget, that's such a great question. And I never thought that I would be sitting here CEO of Girls Who Code, one of the largest girls organizations on the planet. And, you know, I am just overcome with pride because, again, I just could not have imagined that I would be doing what I'm doing today, leading this movement to inspire and educate and equip students, you know, who identify as girls or non-binary with all these computing skills that they need to really take advantage of 21st century opportunity. And as I reflect on how I got here, you know, I come to this space first and foremost as an educator and activist, and I've been working on issues of education reform for basically my entire career And, you know, it goes back further. I had this incredible mom, you know, I grew up partly in Kingston, Jamaica and Brooklyn, New York, who taught me not just the power of education, but always to go into spaces, see the type of work that needed to happen, that needed to get done, but wasn't happening. And to have the agency that I could actually myself be the change that I wanted to see. And, you know, I've had these incredible opportunities and milestones along the way that I just feel blessed to have had. I, at one point, was working at the New York City Department of Education, where I had a chance to really take what was instilled in me, you know, when I was younger and put it into practice. Um, I've always been drawn to supporting the kids who have been the most marginalized. And I worked within this office in the DOE that really focused on kids who were significantly off track academically. So we're talking about kids who were not going to graduate on time. And, you know, many people had frankly written off and most of them were poor black and brown kids who looked, you know, just like me when I was their age. And, you know, I had this once in a lifetime opportunity to lead the team that was going to build a first of its kind high school focused on software engineering. Um, but it was also this incredible moment because this school as intended, as folks came together and believed should be built, was going to be what we call a quote unquote screen school. And they very much wanted to be the school where you would test in. And, you know, as an educator, I knew what this was gonna look like. Relying on test scores would mean that for our most marginalized students, for our kids of color, our black and brown kids, they were not going to have the advantage here. And we know the reasons for that. Poverty, disinvestment in low-income neighborhoods, and certainly racial bias and testing. And, you know, as I was a senior leader at the time, but relatively new in my journey, I knew that this was going to be risky for me. But I somehow knew in my spirit that I would have to fight against screening and rally support for opening this school To any kid, and it didn't matter if this was gonna disrupt the notions that our key stakeholders held, right? Venture capitalists and tech entrepreneurs who were keen on having this school look a certain way. And today I'm just so proud that any young person in New York City interested in computer science has a chance to attend the Academy for Software Engineering. And for the kids who are there, 95% of them are graduating on time. And Bridget, you know, getting that school off the ground was absolutely one of my proudest accomplishments as an educator even to this day leading girls who code but it you know was also a powerful lesson that you always have to exist somehow at the intersection of opportunity and bravery and if you get a shot to disrupt the status quo you have to take it and you know i could have answered this question really succinctly and just said it was during the pandemic i took this job <laughs> when our founder rashma sajani came to me and said it's time um, but I wanted to give you some of the color that shaped why I said yes during a pandemic to becoming CEO of Girls Who Code. You know, my grandmother had a sixth grade education. She worked on our family's farm, you know, after her mother died, helping to raise, you know, her seven younger siblings. I She could never in her wildest dreams have imagined that I would be doing what I'm doing now, working toward lifting up all these young people and giving them opportunity, all of those experiences as I just told you, be it the New York City Department of Education or other things when I was a teacher, all these milestones led me to this moment, you know, saying yes to being CEO. And since we launched this organization in 2012, we've reached 500,000 students with our programming, 115,000 of whom are college and workforce age, you know, young women and non-binary students. And you know what fuels me to do this work every day is that I know that when we address this growing gender gap in tech, which is very much our mission, we're empowering young people, this next generation, especially those who have been overlooked, to seek out the thriving and exciting careers of the future, because we know that it's going to afford them this improved quality of life and upward mobility that has been elusive to, to far too many.
2: We are so fond of that saying, I'm sure you've heard it, if you if you can see it, you can be it. But if you can't yeah. see it, you can't be it. And I know that Girls, Who's, Girls Who Code is doing so much of the work of helping young women and non-binary folks see themselves in positions and rooms and spaces that maybe they haven't really been shown before. And so yeah. when, when Girls Who Code books and programming are then not included in school curriculums or outright banned like we know happened in some school districts. It's a problem, not just because, you know, you're you're banning this content, which you find like, quote, controversial, but also because it, it creates a situation where I think it sends a message that there's something wrong with disrupting that status quo about That's what right. rooms women and non-binary people can find themselves in.
3: Yeah, Bridget, you've said that so well. It's frightening, right? Like, as you say it i even though we've been going through this since we learned of the book ban i still feel like such you know chills and a sense of disbelief when you you know break it down that way to say that i was unsettled by the news would be an understatement and you know you talked about what it meant to not be represented I might be the CEO of Girls Who Code, this incredible nonprofit, but, you know, I'm also an educator and a mother, and we know how transformative books can be for young people. I remember when my daughter, she was much younger than, she's actually applying for high school now, when our fiction series came out, and she looked at one of the covers and she said, Mom, there's a brown girl on the cover. Now, granted... I don't remember exactly what year that was, but to think that my daughter in this modern era would be excited about that representation is an indication of how scarce it is for a brown girl, a black girl, you know, a girl wearing a hijab, you know, a student who's non-binary, a student who's differently able to see themselves represented in books, in media. And, you know, books can open up so many doors, right? We're talking about essential life skills, learning about yourself, the world around you, your possibilities, what you can be. And so when this banning of our books happened, you know, it was a setback for all the reasons that you just said, Bridget. We're talking about a setback in terms of our fight for an equitable, safe, and diverse world. Um You know, we always say at Girls Who Code, as you said, you can't be what you can't see. We say it all the time because when it comes to tech in particular, our girls, our young women, our non-binary students do not see themselves represented in the ways that they should. And when we silence or ignore marginalized groups, we outwardly tell them that they don't matter, that their stories don't matter. And, you know, we know this to be true, but if you ask a girl or if we think about how we came up in school, we learned, you know, in school and through culture about the Bill Gates of the world, Mark Zuckerberg, Albert Einstein, Neil Armstrong, if we go back. But when, if you ask your girls, how many of them have heard of Katherine Johnson or Mary Jackson mm-hmm. or Grace Hopper or Jean Bartik or Ada Lovelace, they're looking at you like, what? Like, what are you talking about? These incredible pioneers who made enormous contributions to the field, but yet the cultural representations that have defined tech since the 1980s, you know, completely diminish and ignore those incredible contributions. And it was, there was a certain amount of intentionality there. And so we're counteracting these powerful cultural stereotypes and, and images that tell our girls and young women that a programmer looks like a boy in a hoodie, right? Alone in a basement or some maniac running a company in Silicon Valley. It's important
2: for little girls to see themselves reflected in the math, sciences and technologies. According to research from the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, kids implicitly start thinking of technology as a male pursuit as early as age seven, a bias that continues well into adulthood. This is exactly the kind of bias that Girls Who Code is combating. They're helping a new generation of little ones get excited about technology and see themselves reflected in it through initiatives like Doja Code, a new partnership with Doja Cat that lets listeners engage with her music videos entirely through code.
3: Before girls are even double digits, before they're even 10, they've internalized these cultural touchstones. And these are beliefs that end up resonating with them throughout their entire lives. Elementary school, Middle school, high school, college, and even into the workforce. And so that's why, in terms of what we do at Girls Who Code, we make sure that we're putting forward women in tech spotlights. We make sure that we're doing things like what you've seen launching the world's first codable music video with Doja Cat, helping girls to understand that it's not some crazy binary where you either want to make money or you want to lift up your community, that there's a path for you to bring your passion and creativity and the change you want to see in your community and the world by embracing tech because we know that these powerful binaries are still at play that you can either you know be some guy going up in space in a rocket ship or using your money to do what you want to do or you know as opposed to changing the world and we're making sure that our community understands that they can have the impact that they want to have that they belong within tech and that they can, you know, see those representations. And frankly, because we need for them to do that, they're going to be the ones who actually bring us the tech that's representative of our communities in the world. And so it's critical that we change what's happening.
2: Absolutely. You know, when I first started this podcast, I I, I kind of went into it with a similar kind of misconception that you just described, I'm, I'm sad to say, where I had sort of internalized this story that, you know, technology was a boys club and that women and people of color had been trying to break into this boys club and that that's kind of where we were. But in doing a little bit of research, I was like, oh, wait, actually, we were there all along. And it just be- <laughs> exactly, you know, just because just because our stories weren't always told or we didn't always get the shine or whatever doesn't mean we weren't there. And so it took this kind of recalibrating internally, it'd be like, no, this is our rightful domain. We have a right That's to right. take up space and show up here.
3: Absolutely. And you know when you think about it, tech intersects every facet of our lives, right? You have, be it voting rights, healthcare, safety and security, and there's no opting out of tech. I think what you said is so profound because we have been not only consumers and users, but certainly the creativity, all the different things. It's just that these things, these accomplishments aren't amplified, you know, and often it's the same folks who are getting, be it funding for the next big idea or recognition around a given gadget or its influence. And part of what we do is that we maintain a steady drumbeat. Making sure that we actually lift up the stories, because when I think about even if you want to think about our students who you know are new to technology in some cases are just starting out, I am blown away by their projects and the way they think about things and to say nothing of our alums that includes students who have you know created all kinds of things like you know um, an app to stop cyberbullying or we have another alum who, you know, galvanized a whole group of folks to make um, PPE through 3D printing. And these are young people. And so I'm just so grateful that your show is another opportunity to kind of lift up these voices.
2: Let's take a quick break. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails
0: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure.
1: That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be.
2: So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS.
6: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And we're back. As bleak as we all know things can sometimes feel, the kids are actually all right. With encouragement from Girls Who Code, young people are tackling some of the most pressing challenges of our time using technology. Some of the stories that are coming out of girls who code the things that they make are incredible and i know when, so whenever sweet. i'm asked you know <laughs> on this show we have to talk about so many things that are dark or depressing or sad when it comes to technology but the thing that gives me hope time and time again is young people like those i know if you give exactly. a young girl a computer and some know-how and some confidence the things that she can accomplish is, are are
3: limitless limitless, limitless. absolutely limitless, limitless. limitless. And it's also the things that are sitting in front of us that we sit down as grown folks and feel paralyzed and think are intractable issues. You know, we had one student who came up with a gun safety patent where, okay, you bring this weapon within X distance of a school or a community that's been deemed where that's not allowed. It doesn't work. These are, you know, ideas that should shape policy and the way that we think about things. We have like 12 year olds working on the lead water crisis, you know, and it ranges, right? Like among my favorites would be students who are like, wait a second, why aren't there any black hair care products that are actually (laughs) accessible, you know, in this way? Um, Or climate change or negative, you know, anti-immigration policies and all kinds of things. I'm with you. It's when you feel downtrodden that you recognize that our young people are not. And that's why you have to continue to have programming like we offer at Girls Who Code that allows young people to have these on-ramps to be able to gain this exposure because they're deeply excited. They're almost inherently entrepreneurial in the way that they think. They don't even necessarily... Think about it as like, well, I don't need to join X comp. They, they're all about the next thing that's going to make things better for everyone. And that's just sort of how they approach these challenges. And it's so inspiring.
2: Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I see a little bit of that same inspiration in the way that you and the entire Girls Who Code community responded to the news of Girls Who Code books being, being banned. Yeah. Um, there is a line in your LinkedIn post that I really, I really liked uh, where you quoted the co-founder Reshma. This yeah. is an opportunity to start more clubs, get more girls to code and to get more girls to become economically free. And so, th- you know, using what I think was like a pretty galvanizing, horrible moment. Right. Of these books being banned to say, well, no, we're not going to retreat. We're going to use this as an opportunity to continue building the changes that we want to see. As inspiring as Girls Who Code is, not everybody feels that way. Across the country, extremist groups are banning books from libraries and classrooms that highlight inclusion. And in September, four books from Girls Who Code were amongst the books that have been restricted or diminished for either limited or indefinite periods of time in Pennsylvania's Central York District. The books called The Friendship of Code, Team BFF, Race to the Finish, Lights, Music, Code, and Spotlight on Coding Club all follow the adventures of a group of young girls in a coding club at their school, kind of like the Babysitter's Club series, only for coding. To be clear, these bands are not prompted by a collection of just one-off parent complaints. According to Pen America, the large majority of book bands underway today are not spontaneous organic expressions of citizen concern, Rather, they reflect the work of a growing number of advocacy organizations that have made demanding censorship of books and ideas in schools part of their mission. Girls Who Code founder Resh Misogyny didn't take all of this sitting down. This is an opportunity to start more clubs, get more girls to code, and get more girls to become economically free, she responded to the news of the bans in a LinkedIn post. And thanks to the vocal support of students, teachers, and parents in the community who organized and fought back, the ban
3: was defeated, for now at least. I appreciate so much that you named that we approached it and really turned this horrible moment on its head and saw it as a way to bring together our community and frankly to raise awareness among other folks who may not understand what a big deal banning a book frankly as benign as this one, it you know, what that meant. Um, and banning books and other it's not just our book right other diverse educational material is intended to keep children and specifically our girls from accessing opportunity and that is frightening and this book ban that we're talking about was part of a larger nationwide movement over 1600 titles that were removed from shelves this past year alone and when you look at the breakdown of what that meant Nearly 20% of the books discussed racism in America, 40% of them featured characters of color, and an additional 40% address LGBTQ, you know, plus themes. And what does it mean, you know, when, like, if we're keeping children from learning about their history, seeing themselves or hearing stories about people who look like them, we're in trouble, right? Because then nothing is off limits. And You know, that kind of exposure could severely hamper a young person's ability to just gain the knowledge that could be transformative for them. And, you know, when you ask me, what does this work like? How does it continue? It made us, it just kind of, I think, I don't know, heightened the fire in the belly, if you will, Bridget, (laughs) in terms of just saying, oh, hell no, we are not (laughs) doing this we are going to double down. We were already deeply committed. We've already named, this is our 10 year anniversary. We intend to teach a million girls. We are not scared because we know that they're the ones who are going to change this world. And every program that we have focuses on sisterhood and, you know, values, the skills and relationships that our students are building that carry them through our program and long after the programmatic work with us ends. And so for us, it was all about sort of reinforcing. We were able to double down on our commitment to prepare young people for the jobs of the future, and especially young women of color, because they're the ones who are going to shape industry, right? They're the ones who are going to really disrupt the status quo, and for folks who don't know about Girls Who Code, you know, we are all about closing the gender gap in new entry level tech jobs by 2030. And for us, we start as early as third grade and go all the way through college and even workforce programming. Um, and, you know, there's so much that I can talk to you about, be it our you know, summer immersion program. We even have self paced programming during the summer or free after school clubs. We are getting, you know, we're reaching girls at every stage of the pipeline, driving their, you know, interest, keeping them excited and ensuring that they persist. And I'll point to a couple of things that we've done, you know, that just bring me so much hope and excitement. So during the pandemic, we had to pivot so much of our programming, and I can, you know, spend forever, Bridget, telling you about this, but one of the things that was really striking for me, especially as CEO, is that when we surveyed our alumni community, we learned that 30% of them had had a job offer or internship rescinded, and that 40% of our seniors were still looking for work. And while we were not experts in workforce development, we had just started to see our cohorts move into that older domain of going into the workforce We knew we couldn't sit by on the sidelines and watch all this progress that these young women and non-binary students had made fall to the wayside. And so we launched programming that just met these needs. We had hiring summits where we had more than a thousand students participate in each one with really strong numbers of students being hired from those experiences. We launched Girls Who Code Work Prep you know, which is like an internship program, giving young women exposure to, you know, corporate partners and careers and women in tech. But two programs that I really want to double click on are our Leadership Academy. We just launched this. It's a four-month um, pilot program with 100 students from 80 universities who are majoring in everything from computer science to applied mathematics. 90% of the Leadership Academy students come from historically underrepresented groups and we are giving these students a chance to experience these dynamic sessions and events and projects. They work in small groups. They're going to be meeting with career advisors who are going to help them explore and prepare for their path forward. We have, you know, hiring fairs that they're going to participate in, speed networking events with, you know, technologists. They're even going to be a part of a technical interview um, prep boot camp. But the thing that really, you know, the icing on the cake for me is that these students are also going to work with an advisor to design and propose and execute a give back project that's going to strengthen their skills, boost their resume, you know, elevate education, career opportunities for their community as well, which I think is just so powerful. And then another program that I'll briefly mention is that we just launched our technical interview prep last month. And in this um, particular program, we're working with thousands of students who are interested in breaking into the tech workforce every day. And we know that for a lot of young people, especially young people of color, the technical interview is the most challenging and daunting part of the hiring process. And we've also known that the folks who succeed at the technical interview always have some, quote, insider access to give them a leg up. Mm -hmm. And we know that there aren't very often affordable and accessible resources to help students prepare. And, you know, our students don't have thousands of dollars to spend on, you know, this one step in the job seeking process to get. And they also don't always have the social capital. Right. In terms of who they can turn to to find out more about what these technical interviews entail. And so we just felt it was way past time to level the playing field, you know, for everyone, regardless of background. And so. I'm so excited that these programs are just a couple of the many ways in which we are determined to reach our students, our most marginalized students at every point in the pipeline, you know, starting as early as elementary school and all all the way through college and beyond. More after a quick break.
2: the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS.
6: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host,
2: Let's get right back into it. Something that you said earlier, there is no opting out of tech. Making mm-hmm. sure that particularly students and young people who are the most marginalized have access to, you know, the technical prep. God, I've, I've been in some tech interviews and I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like that technical skills assessment is like, I'll just say I, I agree. <laughs> and I, I, know, I know what you mean. Yeah. And, you know, I think just for the kind of world that we're living in in, in 2022 technology it, it from it's it impacts everything from how our candidates are elected how exactly. folks run for office how people vote how you get your groceries whether exactly. or not you wind up being criminalized by the state or over surveilled like there is no way to opt out of this and exactly. yet if if people who are marginalized feel like that they are like shut out of those conversations they don't have a, 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 a you know don't feel like they should be able to take up space there. We are just saying, like, okay, well, this is going to be happening to you. You will not have
3: the tools, exactly. the know-how, the,
2: the, 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 you know, the skills to even participate in this thing that we know is going to be such a big part of all of our lives.
3: Exactly. And, you know, Bridget, I don't know how I can possibly add more. That what you just said was so astute. We refuse to accept that notion, right? That our young people are gonna be you know, on the sidelines, that they're only going to be users or consumers, and that they're going to watch this tech, you know, world unfold around them. That's just not what we believe in. And everything we've done has positioned them front and center and demanded, frankly, that the tech industry give them a seat at the table. We are in 2022, and we are still talking about women holding roughly somewhere around 26% of all computer science jobs, right? And when you look at Black and Latinx women, we're talking about that roughly being about 5% for those groups. You know, more than half of the students in our Girls Who Code community come from historically underrepresented groups. These are young women who are motivated, right? They're ready to learn, but don't often have the same resources or opportunities as their peers. And... (laughs) Everyone needs to acknowledge that circumstances are different. Their circumstances might cause them to work multiple jobs while carrying a full college course load, balancing homework and caregiving responsibilities. They don't always have access to the resources they need to succeed. And the thing that I have to underscore is that these young women often embody bravery and resilience, the very qualities that companies are falling over themselves to identify in their workforce, but at the same time are not at all reflected in conventional academic credentials that these tech firms overwhelmingly rely on. And this can be so discouraging for our students. You know, computer science, as you said, it it touches our lives at every intersection. You know, we're talking about the fastest growing, highest paying sector in our economy. Employment is expected to grow by 11% between 2019 and 2029. And that's going to translate into a half a million new jobs. And, you know, there's no world where we can just sit here and tell our girls, our young people, our black and brown people, that the best jobs out there, the highest Pain, the fastest growing, the ones that are actually going to shape the future of our world aren't for them. And so, you know, part of what I try to do as CEO of Girls Who Code is constantly remind any of the tech companies with whom I come in contact that they need to shift their mindset around talent, around academic credentialing, around how they think about, you know, the young people that are sitting in front of them, you know, knocking at that door and that they can't afford to leave a single ounce of tech talent on the table. And so, you know, everything we design at Girls Who Code contemplates this and makes sure that they, you know, our young people are equipped with the tools they need to be able to succeed. Um, and, of course, I talk about, you know, the really punishing work cultures and, you know, difficult environments that also cause, you know, 50% of women to leave the tech field by the age of 35. And Bridget, there's just so much complexity there. But for me, you know, my work is twofold. It's teaching girls computer science, but also holding industry to account and making sure that we are constantly pushing this culture that tells our most marginalized young people that they don't belong in tech.
2: I am so grateful that you're doing the work of pushing back against that culture and really shaking up the status quo. And honestly, part of me feels like if someone is trying to ban your books because you're you're shaking that table, kind of doing something right.
3: <laughs> Thank you, Bridget. I appreciate that.
2: So let's say that someone listening, they have a, a young person in their life, a young woman or a young non-binary, non-binary person, and they want to get involved with Girls Who Code. How can folks listening get, get involved?
3: Thank you so much for that question. Anyone who's listening, you know, I always say, first and foremost, go to girls code.com, Check out our website because we do list all of our programs. There are so many entry points, Bridget, and that's something I'm deeply proud of. You know, we started with that flagship, you know, seven-week summer immersion program with 20 girls in a borrowed conference room in New York City, <laughs> learning how to code from nine in the morning till four in the afternoon. And we've expanded so much since then. This past summer, I think we taught over 6,000 girls computer science during our summer programming alone. So if there are girls or non-binary students, female identifying folks who want to be a part of that kind of experience, that is fantastic. And certainly that'll come around come summer. But our free after-school clubs from grades 3 through 12 Those are absolutely available in your community. And if you're a parent thinking, or a librarian or community leader or someone else thinking, I don't have this at my school or I don't have this, you can actually start one. And we always encourage folks to do that. And you can look for that information on our website. And then beyond that, I mentioned our technical interview prep. So if you're a young person thinking about entering the sector and wanting to sharpen your skills for that, you know, dreaded technical interview. We have something for you. Um, and, you know, all of this, we have so, many, so much programming. We have college loops across college campuses, um, you know, across the country. And, you know, there's so many entry points. I'm hopeful that your listeners will think about how they can, you know, encourage a young person, ask a girl, you know, a daughter, a niece, an intern, a mentee, whether she's considered you know, a career in tech, and all of us have a role to play because we can also push back when we hear stereotypes about who belongs in the sector, and we can keep pushing a conversation that says that more folks should have a seat at the table. Got a
2: story about an interesting thing in tech, or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangody.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangody.com.